Uh, if you would, please say with me the prayer for guidance. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with glad hearts what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verses 16 through 30. Uh, If you want to follow along in your pew Bibles, that's on page 21. Then someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good deed must I have, uh, must, must I do to have eternal life? And he said unto him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments, he said to him. Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. Also, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said unto him, I have kept all these. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be perfect, go, sell your possessions, and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this word, He went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astounded and said, Then who can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, Look, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man is seated on the throne of his glory, you you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or fields, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold, and then will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Larry. When Larry reads, for some reason I have this feeling I want to go out and shoot a basketball. We uh, have our Back to Church Sunday coming up uh, in a couple weeks, and uh, I chose not to show the video this morning uh, just because of time, but these are the cards that we have that give information on the church and we are encouraging you to uh, to pick up some of these cards. You get them through the church office here. I think there's some out on the tables over here uh, at the entrances. But an easy way to invite somebody to come to church on October 14th. And, uh, and you know, there are a lot of folks out there who, over time, you begin to do other things on Sunday. You, kind of, you miss here, you miss there. And before you know it, the years have gone by. And... Um, 
and you no longer have that blessing of a church family. So to invite your neighbors, invite folks, and to say this this is a place where you can belong and where God can uh, bless you through others um, is, is, a, is a good thing to do uh, for those uh, in your family, those uh, who are your neighbors, or those who you work with. So I hope you'll, uh, you'll take time to invite at least one person to come on October 14th. Uh, this, the message this morning, I always think about my dad and when I think about sermons about wealth or money because my dad used to hate it when the preacher would preach on that and especially uh, preacher Cliff Lyons for some reason always when he preached about money he would mention Cadillacs and my parents when when my dad's business began to take off and uh, we had that one beaten up old station wagon that they used as the business car and the personal car and all well, they went out to Lindsay Cadillac, and they splurged, and they got a Cadillac. And, of course, it was the next Sunday that the preacher preaches on wealth and money and talks about these people driving their Cadillac. So I'm not going to mention Cadillacs. And uh, over time, there are many other cars that kind of supplanted the Cadillac as the luxury vehicle. But um, And I won't hit hard on all you Honda owners out there with these big, expensive Hondas. This is obviously a huge topic to take on in a few minutes. And so the challenge is not coming up with what you're going to say, but deciding what you're not going to say. Uh, The subject of money is all through the scriptures. 2,000 verses in the Bible. One out of every 10 verses in the Gospels deal with the topic of money. Uh, Jesus, uh, 16 of his 48 parables are on the topic of money and wealth. And you might say, well, that, that doesn't seem very spiritual to be obsessed with this. But the fact is that Jesus and the prophets and others who wrote the books of the Bible recognized how easy it was for money to become our God. In fact, there's a term used in the Bible, and you'll find it in the King James. Uh, It's called Mammon. And Mammon is the name of a god. And when possessions take hold of your life to the point where your whole life is oriented around getting more, when you you become that that miser who uh, uh, is reclusively sitting back, you know, the stereotype of the, the man who goes off into the woods and takes all his money with him and his joy in every, every moment of the day is to sit there and count his money. Uh, and, and, and he never spends it. He just loves the idea of having money. Well, that's rampant in our, in our society. And what makes it even worse is that our society and culture, because we're built around, around this free enterprise system, it is to the advantage of businesses to convince you that you need their product. And so we are almost every moment of every day hit with some sort of advertising, something saying you cannot live without this product. Boy, go on the Internet now. Uh, go, you know, If you order anything on the Internet, they automatically know, and, and all of a sudden you start getting uh, little advertisements popping up for items like the one you just bought. Or let's say you just searched 
in Amazon for some item and you didn't order it, you didn't decide to get it, but for months you will get suggestions from Amazon about that product or similar products. So the whole world right now is oriented around your spending. And so to hear the message of Jesus around this may be a little bit difficult. Four scriptures, uh, just short verses that I always think of when I'm thinking about Jesus and, and what he has to say about money and wealth. One is, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, if, if we were to personally examine our giving to the church, how does that reflect where our heart is? Do we, is, is our heart owned by God? Is it owned by his kingdom, by his church? Or is it owned by many other things that tend to take away from our giving to the church? Uh, What does it profit a man, man, Jesus said, if he gained the whole world but lose his own soul? That's what the young man in today's reading. And by the way, this story appears in three different gospels and each adds a little different thing to it. Uh, They all say he was a man and they all say that he was rich. One adds that he was young and one adds that he was a ruler. So we very often call him the rich young, young ruler, taking all of these accounts uh, and putting it together. This, this rich young ruler decides to sell his own soul for his wealth. That's what happens here. He comes to Jesus and says, how do I gain eternal life? How do I secure my soul? And Jesus tells him, and he goes away sorrowful because he had much money. So his soul was worth whatever his bank account held. And unfortunately, without really examining this, with letting the year much about it, how many of us really take the time to say, what price have I put on my soul? What price do I put on my time? What price do I put on the effort I'm putting into this life? Where are my efforts going? And it's so important Uh, We call this stewardship in the church, that we be good good stewards of not just money, but time and everything that God has given us. But it's so easy for us to forget all this because the world is constantly bringing all this down upon us. Um, there's There's another story in the Gospels that I think gives us a bookend to this one. It's a happier ending. Uh, In the book of Mark, We read that Jesus uh, was with his disciples at the temple. And he noticed, I think, that his disciples' eyes were focused upon people who were coming in, dressed beautifully. They're coming in with their servants. And they're going over to the coffers, to the offering plates of that time, which were called trumpets because they were shaped like trumpets. So imagine a narrow opening widening up into a bigger opening. And there were different trumpets for different gifts to the temple, depending on the category. You can call it designated giving, where it was going to go. And they're admiring these guys as they come through, um, just making a big show 
of their offering, making sure, you know, they didn't have paper money, but the coins made a good sound, that everybody heard the coins as they went down through those trumpets, calling attention to themselves. I was wondering the other day, I thought, I'd never thought about this, I wonder if one of those men doing that that day in the presence of Jesus and his disciples wasn't this rich young ruler. If he wasn't one of those who was coming to make the big show because his money was so important to him that he would give up eternal life for it. But that isn't the focus. Jesus draws the attention of the disciples over to this widow. I always imagine her dressed very simply. Maybe bent over a bit. Someone who it would be easy to overlook. But Jesus sees her. And he sees, you see, you see this woman right here. She just gave two coins. You know those two coins were worth about a penny by today's standards. And he said, she gave all that she had. She gave everything. They gave out of their excess. They had plenty left. But she gave in faith, trusting in God. Jesus didn't say this, but she could have just given one of the coins. Can you imagine? To be able to say to your, to your conscience, I just gave half of all I own to the temple. But she gave everything. What a gift. And so I see these two, these two instances of a man who is owned by his money and a woman who is owned by God as being at the heart of what Jesus would teach us about wealth. The Jesus way of wealth is to say, who owns me? What is my life worth? How much am I willing to hold on to my possessions if it means I will lose my own soul. Earlier in Jesus' life, he was at the temple another time. His parents have taken him there. Well, his father has taken him. He's eight days old. His mother, having given birth to the baby, is unclean in terms of the temple. She's not allowed to enter for a month. But Joseph takes him. And it tells us that they that they purchased two doves or pigeons for the sacrifice for young Jesus. This is something you did at eight days and the the child is circumcised and it's a big thing. But they're, they're making an offering to God of these pigeons. Now, a wealthy person would bring a lamb. But because they were poor, they came with the two pigeons. And I wonder if Jesus, seeing those two mites going in there, thought about how he had heard the stories of his parents taking him to the temple as a little baby and how they didn't have enough money for the lamb, but they had enough for the two pigeons. And Jesus sees this woman over here and he thinks about his own parents. And he thinks about how nobody paid them any attention. Nobody paid attention, it seemed like, to the baby born in the manger, except the angels, and some shepherds who God sent, and then later some wise men sent by God. But nobody on their own would have noticed him. 
And so when it comes to our wealth and possessions, when it comes to our standing in life, I think Jesus would, would long for us to have the gift of knowing that all the stuff that we think is so important, it doesn't matter. The things that matter most in life are things that we cannot see. I think Dr. Seuss said that. No, no, it wasn't Dr. Seuss. I think it was uh, Mr. Rogers said that. I was trying to pull that up where that came from. I got it credit. Mr. Rogers said that. The things in life that matter most cannot be seen. And we fall into the habit, though, of being so sight-oriented that we forget to sit down at night and look into our souls to have those moments of spiritual testing to see, is my life a glory to God? Is my life being led the way it's supposed to be led? Last thing I'll share with you. Um, John Wesley, you can't have a sermon in a Methodist church without mentioning John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley, when he was uh, a young man, he was a brilliant young man. He grew up in a poor family. His father was a pastor, but he had nine children. Didn't make a whole lot, made enough to support the family, and that was it. John, when he went off to college, he became a professor. He was smart enough, they appointed him to be a professor. And his salary was 30 pounds a year, which may not sound a lot like a lot to you, but 30 pounds a year was a good income. And it was enough for a single man to support himself on. And John Wesley figured it out. He, he was good at budgeting and recording things that he needed 28 pounds a year to pay for his lodging, his food, and his necessities. That left him two pounds. John Wesley, in his early time as a professor, spent that money gambling and drinking. He spent it on pleasure. And then one day, a woman came to his room to clean out the fireplace. And he noticed that she had on a very thin shawl. And that's all she had to protect her. And it was a very cold day. And his conscience hit him. And he thought, all this money I am spending on liquor, on gambling, on my own pleasure. And yet she represents one of many people who don't even have enough to wear. And so he made a pact with himself and he carried this out through the rest of his life. For the rest of his life, he lived on 28 pounds a year. Eventually, John Wesley's income doubled to 60 as he changed physicians, 60 pounds, but he still lived on the 28. He gave the rest away. Eventually, he was making thousands of pounds a year through the sale of his hymnals and his writings and books. And so he had all this money that he could have been spending on for his own pleasure, but he was committed to living on that 28 pounds a year. And the rest he gave away. I know it is fanciful to say that I or anyone here would make such a pact with ourselves. But I believe that Jesus wants to talk to us today about who owns us. And how much value do we put on our lives? If our lives can be measured by the dollars in a bank, then our lives aren't worth anything. But if our lives have a value in the eyes of God,
because he sees that we have merciful, love-filled, grace-filled hearts that see the needs of the world around us, then you have a life whose value can't be measured. I pray this morning that all of us will reflect on this and commit ourselves to the Jesus way. Remember the young man, the rich young ruler. What does it tell us? He goes away sorrowful, filled with sorrow because he can't bring himself to do it. My prayer prayer today is that we will go away rejoicing, knowing that we can be, be freed from the tyranny of stuff and things. I walk into my basement and I get depressed by the stuff that I know I need to haul up and get rid of and sell. I know I look back at my life and I see the wasted moments, the wasted time that could have been used to much better effect. And I think about the time I spent yesterday watching Old Dominion lose in East Carolina and how that could have been better spent. And certainly what happened the week before for you Virginia Tech folks, which I am pledged not to talk about. God watches folks, not because he's the of God, but because he is a God who wants to give us what matters. Amen. As we go forth, I pray that we will go. <clears throat> Following Jesus, that young man would not do that. He heard the invitation. But I pray that we will hear the invitation and go and follow him wherever it leads, knowing that its ultimate destination is God's holy and eternal kingdom in heaven. Let us go in his peace.